Well, this morning, uh, the title of my message is God's Requirement. And, uh, okay, what is it that God requires? Well, we'll find out in a little bit. But um, a requirement is uh, things needed or necessary conditions. So if um, you have to get into church when it's locked, you, you are required to have the correct key <laughs> or it doesn't work. Um, to drive a car, you have to have a license. It's a requirement that you have uh, gone through the proper testings and have the proper um, credentials, as it were, um, a driver's license in order to drive. Well, whenever we think of God's requirements, um, you know, we know of John chapter 3 where um, Jesus replies to Nicodemus, I tell you for a certainty that you must be born again. That, so that's a requirement, that you have to be born from above um, and that you are to be forgiven of your sin and uh, that whom Christ has forgiven, they are, their names are written in God's book of life. And so it's a requirement to get to heaven. Uh, is your name written in God's book of life? And we receive that, that written record whenever we ask Christ to forgive us. And so we have those uh, requirements that um, God has spoken to us. And, and, and the, the requirement that I'm speaking of today is in, in Micah, Micah, chapter 6, and um, say, okay, what, what is Micah chapter 6? Well, we're, we're going to find out. How about that? Um, the Lord said to his people, come and present your case to the hills and the mountains, Israel, and I am bringing charges against you. I call upon the mountains and the earth's firm foundations to be my witness. My people, have I wronged you in any way at all? Please tell me. I rescued you from Egypt, where you were slaves. I sent Moses and Aaron and Miriam to be your leaders. Don't forget the evil plans of King Balak of Moab, or what Balaam, son of Beor, said to him. Remember how I, the Lord, saved you many times on your way from Shittim to Gilgal. And as I was reading that, the, the scripture that I really am going to focus on is verse 8 in which it says the Lord God has told us to, what is good, what, what he demands or what he requires, that you seek justice and let mercy be your first concern and humbly come before the Lord. So that's where we're headed here with verse 8. But whenever I was reading these scriptures leading up to what God requires, we, I, you know, I came across this shittim and to going into Gilgal. Now, most of the time, whenever we... Um, Think of the children of Israel coming to the Red, coming to the, finishing their 40 years of wandering in the desert, and they reach this place of Shittim, S-H-I-T-T-I-U-M, I believe it is, and it's also known as Achaia, uh, Acacia, A-C-A-C-I-A. Um, so anyhow, it's this this place that they are they are camped out there, and during this time period that they are. Uh, at Achaia, at Shittim, the Israelite traveled these plains and they stayed here and there was a battle that took place. And it was a very difficult battle, but it's not one that we hear a lot about. It's in Numbers chapter 22 through 24. And the nature of the battle was more of a spiritual one. 
Because here, the, the king of Moab, he, he saw these large numbers of Israelites, these, these people that had been wandering around Egypt uh, and wandering around the uh, desert for 40 years, and they are just an overwhelming mob, okay? That's what he sees them as. And so they're an overwhelming group of people. And so the king, he decides, you know what? We, we gotta, I got to do something because I know I can't beat these guys in battle, all right? I can't beat all of these hordes of people in battle. So um, he, or, he uh, sends for Balaam. Now, Balaam is a prophet, but he is not an Israelite prophet. He's, he's kind of um, a, a diviner, if we might call him that, who is harassed and manipulated into doing something. The king wants him to, to curse Israel. Uh, so the king of Moab, he, places, he wants Balaam to place a curse on the people of Israel. Well, four times. Well, we'll read verse, uh, Numbers 23, uh, verse 15. Did I give that to you? Tearing? Probably, maybe I didn't. Uh, so anyhow, I'll read it. Numbers 23, verse 15. Balaam said to Balak, now Balak's the king, okay? Balaam is the div diviner. Um, Stand here by your burnt offering. So he had them bring a bunch of burnt offerings, uh, uh, rams and uh, bulls, and, and offer them as sacrifices, all right? And he, says, he tells the king, you stand here while I go and meet with the Lord over yonder. And the Lord met Balaam and put a speech in his mouth and said, Go back again to Balak and speak thus. And when he returned to Balak, this, this king, who was, um, how would I say, he was troubled by the amount of Israelites that were in the plain of Moab. And they were there waiting and, you know, uh, basically waiting for the changing of the guard. Moses was going to die or go off into the mountains and, and Joshua is going to take over leadership and they're going to cross over the Jordan River to, you know, attack Jericho. But they're waiting here in this plain of Moab and Balak is just, he's just beside himself. There's so many of these people, these Israelites, that he, if they decided to... Uh, overwhelmed them they could and one of the one of the words he uses to describe the children of israel they're like a wild ox that runs around and eats everything <laughs> so that's how he saw the children of israel so he wanted he wanted them to do something he wanted to do something to try and stop these people of israel so he sends for balaam who is this soothsayer who is this diviner and uh, but he's not jewish he's not an Israelite prophet. And um, Balaam has a very disastrous end in his life because he was, he was kind of like a prophet for hire. And he would go and do things and say, you know, he would divine his many gods and come up with ideas. But this time, whenever he goes to find God, he actually finds Jehovah God, who is the God of Israel, who speaks to him. And this is, this is uh, the discourse. There's a long discourse in chapters 22 and 23. I, I didn't write it all out or put it there because you would, it would take me 10 minutes to read it. And by the time I was done with it, he would say, okay, what does that mean? <laughs> so anyhow, 
he, whenever he returned to Balak, the king, he was standing beside the burnt offering and the princess and the prince of Moab with him. And Balak said to him, what has the Lord said? Balaam took up his discourse and says, rise up, Balak, and hear and listen closely to me, son of Zippor. God is not a man that he should tell or act a lie, neither the son of man that he should feel repentance or um, compu- compunction, well, anyhow, to turn back on his promises. He has said, and shall he not do it? Or has he spoken, and shall he not make it good? Now, you look at that verse and you say, okay, the Balaam is, he heard God speak to him. He says, God's not a man. He's not going to turn back on what he said. What he's re- referring to is all of the promises that God has made to the children of Israel um, and how that God had brought them out of the land of Egypt, how that they had defeated all of the enemies. These are promises that God had given to this nation of Israel. And Balaam, this prophet, this say- seer, has met with God himself, and God says, you go back and you tell the king this. And he's telling him, God gave promises that he cannot break. Mm -hmm. All right? So, and he says, you see, I have received his command, and this is verse 20, to bless Israel. He has blessed, and I cannot reverse or qualify it. Meaning that Balaam, this prophet, is telling the king, no matter how much you pay me, I can't make God or say the God who gave the promises to Israel can take them away. So he's telling the king, I can't do this. Well, God has not beheld iniquity of Jacob, meaning that God hasn't looked on their sins and saying, okay, they're too bad. Um, Verse 22, God brought them forth out of, this is Balaam telling this to, the, to this uh, king uh, and saying to him, you know, God brought them forth out of Egypt. They have, as it were, the strength of a wild ox. Surely there is no enchantment with or against Jacob. There is nothing that I can say or do that can, be, that can go against Jacob, Israel, the nation of Israel. Now it shall be said of Jacob and Israel, what has God wrought? God is not a human that he should lie, not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? I have received the command to bless. He has blessed and I cannot change it. (laughs) Okay, so the king, this king who, who, the king of Moab, he wants Israel cursed because he can't beat them in battle, so he wants the spiritual forces to work against them. Balaam says, sorry, sorry, king, I can't do this. So what does the king do? Anybody have an idea? The king says, let's go to another place, on another hill, (laughs) offer more sacrifices, and you go to God and see if he changes his mind. (laughs) Four times he does this. Four times the king takes Balaam to these different places and four times he tries to get um, Balaam to curse uh, the God of Israel and to curse the people of Israel. Now, say, well, what does that have to do with us? Well, 
The first thing which Israel was to remember, and the first thing which we are to remember, is that they were blessed and it could not be cursed by their enemies. What God has said lasts. When God has placed his word upon us and upon our life, you, 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 know, you, may get out, you may walk out from underneath it, but no one and nothing can take it away from you. All the difficulties, all the things that um, are going on in life, if you, know, if you walk out from God's protection, you're on your own. It's like you have this umbrella uh, of God's blessing and protection over your life. You walk out from underneath the umbrella, you're going to get wet. That's not because God said his umbrella isn't there. It's because you left. <laughs> and when you leave, you're getting wet. <laughs> and when you get that wet, you're in trouble. So the devil cannot curse what God has blessed. And what God has blessed is you and I. When we give our life to Jesus Christ, remember going back to the beginning, what does God require of you? He requires that you must be born again. You must have a spiritual birth. You must have a place of forgiveness where God has come into your life. And then there is this uh, continuation of that birth process and that growth process as a person where you spiritually develop, where you spiritually attune yourself to the word of God and to the teachings of the scriptures and to prayer and to, you know, reading the scriptures. And it's important that we do these things because in doing so, we find out more and more what God has for us. So the strength of the people around them, for, for Israel, the strength of the people that were around them was irrelevant. Doesn't matter, Jericho was a fortified city. That's irrelevant because God gave them the city even before they went to battle. Well, God gave Israel promises even before they went to Egypt and became slaves. God brought, gave them promises to their forefathers, to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. And even to Joseph, he said, whenever, after, I've, after I'm dead, you bury me in a certain place. And whenever you leave Egypt, take my bones with you. Don't leave me here. So Jacob, I mean, Joseph even knew that God's promise would be there to take him away from there. So in our life, what is it that we feel that God has promised? What are the promises that God has given to you and to, I, you know, to, to, you know, to me as we, as we think about them? You know, the promises for the new year. What are, what are some things that you believe that God has given to you as expectations for the new year? I remember years ago, um, I was doing this, and I was reading about a guy who, you know, he had everybody, a preacher had everybody write down, put it in an envelope, you know, uh, January 1st, or the, their, they had a, uh, New Year's Eve service, and they had everybody write down an expectation that they had for the new year, and then they put their name on it. And then a year from then, the next, in January 1st, the next year, they would open them up. Well, of course, you know, I opened them all up and so on, but there was one in there that the person had died, okay? 
And uh, so one of the family members or so on opened his envelope and he read it and he says, I expect I will be dead before next year comes. <laughs> you say, well, that was a bad expectation. But you fulfill your expectations. <laughs> you know, our conversation puts out a path of where we're going. You can't talk about robbing a bank without somehow putting the schemes together or stealing from the candy store. Or, you know, you, you talk about it, you plan it, you put it in motion, and you go and do it. Whether you do it in your mind or talk about it with your friends, but you talk about doing the right thing. Um, you know, opportunities coming about. Uh, having great plans and, and planning to succeed and planning for this to happen. You, you put that in motion. That's, that's called, it's called faith, but it's also called um, that you're putting your heart and your mind with a, an expectation of what is good. You know, um, one individual that we were with, they had a, a problem. They, uh, they broke something and then they they hurt themselves, and then they, you know, and they were going on. They were, they were complaining. I never should have left the house today. I should have stayed home, and none, I would have had none of these problems. Well, yeah, but you can stay at home all your life and never have a problem until you don't have a life because you stayed home all your life. <laughs> you know, so people have fears, they have boundaries, they have fears of what can happen. If I don't have this, that'll happen. If I don't have that, this will happen. And we live with these fears. Well, what is the promise that God has put on you first? You see, God promised you blessings, favor, a life, a path, a purpose, he promised all of these things because while you were yet in your mother's womb, he put inside of you all the things that you would need for your life. But we come along with life and we say, okay, God wants me to have faith. Well, I don't need faith. I can go over here and do this. Well, what happens? We keep doing and doing and we lose the path that God has for us. God doesn't want us to lose the path. He says, what shall I come? This is part of Micah chapter Chapter 6, and it's verse 6. What shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? I want to read it out of this version. Um, well, uh, let me read it again. What offering should I bring when I bow down to worship the Lord Most High? So, there, you know, Micah, and he's using this dialogue between God and the people, you know, and, and God is upset with the people of Israel. And uh, he's talking about... it. At this point in time, he's reminding Israel about what they did and what happened back at, uh, at Shittim at Acacia. And he's, he's reminding them about that time period. And he says, what offering should I bring when I bow down to worship the Lord Most High? Should I try to please him by sacrificing calves a year old? Will thousands of sheep or rivers of olive oil make God satisfied with me? Should I sacrifice to the Lord my firstborn child? You see, <laughs> these were things that the gods of, the, of Moab would want and were doing in their culture. 
And what happened at um, Acacia was when the children of Israel were encamped there 40 years in the wilderness, okay? They're camped at this site and they're being prepared to, to go into the promised land. Well, Moab, the king of Moab, wants to curse them. God can't curse them. But what happened was, there was, these people were near the, the towns of the Moabites, and the Moabite women went out and met the, the men of Israel, and they went back to worship in the temple of Baal, of Moab, and, it was, and they entered into sexual perversion or sexual misconduct with all these people, and 24,000 people died. That was the battle that took place at Acacia and Moab. And what happened was they couldn't be cursed, but they could be led astray. And in our, in our life, we need to realize and, and, and look at this. And it said, verse 8 says, The Lord, he has shown you, O man, what is good. He has given us an understanding of what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly and to love kindness and mercy and to humble yourself and walk humbly with your God? So he is telling the, and Micah is telling the people that God requires you to look for what is good. He requires us to do justly what is just, to love kindness, love mercy, humble yourself and walk humbly with your God. And when you look up humility, it really, it, it's hard to define humility because it, it often goes into what it is not. It's arrogance, too prideful that you go to, you, you are too full of pride to go and ask God for help. You are arrogant, I do not need that. Re, re, I don't need God, I don't need his help. Uh, we, you know, his commandments need, mean nothing. That's the pride of arrogance and, and, and pridefulness in our life. But humility is being able to recognize that God is the one who will help us to do what is right, to do what is just, to do what is merciful, and to do those things. Now, and I, I was following that line of thought, and so uh, Psalm 1, verse 3, says that the person... The person that does this, the person that follows this idea of, of loving mercy and justice and, and, and uh, doing what is right and humbly walking with God, they will be like a tree planted by the streams of water, which yield its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither, and whatever they do prospers. You see, Israel was being, was led by God to the river, Jordan. And God had prepared for them this land that they were to possess. But <laughs> there were still people after 40 years of wandering and, and being fed by God every day, water of God being poured out for them, cloud by day, uh, pillar of fire by night. 
These people were led the whole way to this place, and, and, the, and the promised land was right in front of them. But what did they do? 24,000 of them went after the gods of the Moabites, and they died before they got into the promised land. And the challenge is that we want to be like the tree that's planted by the streams of God's water. The water, the word, the water and the word has a similarity that it nourishes our soul. It, it, it floods our spirit. It gives, a, Jesus says that you drink of this well, of this water, you will thirst no more. So you will yield its fruit in its season. Your leaf does not wither. And whatever you do prospers. Well, we know what happens when fall comes. <laughs> the leaves wither and fall off because this is the, the, the territory, the um, climate that we live in. But this climate that, of being planted in God, the leaves never fall off. The leaves never wither. And the fruit is always being produced in its season. So the best decision you will ever make in your life is to allow God to be the center of our lives. And his word will always bring us to prosper. <laughs> prosper. <laughs> That's a, um, a good word. We often think of, well, prosperity. You know, ka-ching, ka-ching, you know. We think of you know, cash and coin and substance and things that we can you know, put in our pocket or claim as ownership. But the prosperity of God, that you should prosper even as your soul prospers. What is your soul doing? How is your soul prospering? <laughs> how is your soul? How does it look in the sight of God? And you see, there is a, there's a blessing that belongs to you. <laughs> there's a blessing that belongs to us. And we are blessed, and it is a promise that God has said that he will pour out his spirit upon you, okay? He will pour out his spirit upon you, and he will bless you. He will bless you in a way that we can't even think or imagine. So the challenge for us is to recognize that no spiritual battle the the like uh balaam he doesn't he can't he cannot curse what god has blessed he cannot make god retract what he has said he's not a man he's not a man that can go back on his word and when god has stated his word that you are my child and that you are um in my hands and nothing can separate us we have entered into a place where God has put his covering over us. And that blessing belongs to us in this life and in the life to come. And the only thing that can cause this not to happen is what happened to those 24,000 that left and went to the gods of the Moabites and they died for their immorality and sin. So we look at this. What does God require? He requires for us to be just. 
it requires for us to love mercy. He requires for us to be kind and gentle. Did you know that the, the Spirit of God is the Spirit of wisdom? The, 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 the Spirit of God is the Spirit of knowledge. And we often think of the fruit of the Spirit as knowledge and sound mind and um, as the fruit of the Spirit. But the, but the, the Spirit himself brings to us the knowledge in our hearts and our heads that we are God's. Nothing can separate us. You know, there was a pastor, we talked about um, Pastor uh, Poole. He, he died, he's, he was, I don't know, I think he was in his 60s. He had, uh, broke his neck, he fell, and then he had a collar and he, you know, was on for a number of months and I was reading what his wife wrote in one of the uh, district publications. And he said, when they found out about his cancer and that it, he, he couldn't heal and that he developed pneumonia and, and everything went wrong and they tried everything to try and save him, which was right. But when they took all the medications away and took him off the ventilator and he lay there and she said, he laid there with a smile and a wink in his eye to her that everything was okay. And for the next day and a half, they waited for him to go home. You see, home to heaven. And when she would walk in and she would go into the intensive care unit and be with him, he couldn't speak, but he would look at her and wink. <laughs> it's okay. And you see, there are promises and there are things that belong to us because we are believers that other people don't have. I'm with people and I'm with them and they don't have hope. No matter what they possess, no matter where they're at, no matter what the stage of their life and no matter what the condition of their life, they live without an expectation of good. They live without an expectation of hope. And I, I just, for me, it's like, can't you see <laughs> that to where you're living will destroy you and yet you have no hope except what is in this life? And in our lives as believers, it is a, it is a requirement, a requirement that you have hope that you have an expectation that God is going to do good things in your life. You have a belief and an understanding that there is possibilities for you and for your children and your grandchildren, your parents, whomever. There are possibilities beyond who you are and what you can put your hand on and what you can believe and see. Those possibilities exist. It's up to us to live under that umbrella of promise. It's up to us to live there and not venture out <laughs> into the hailstorm of disbelief and fear and so on. So the challenge for us then, 
Talked about how that the 23rd Psalm, not the 23rd Psalm, Psalm 1, verse 3. Titus, chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. For the grace of God, his unmerited favor, has come forward for the deliverance from sin and eternal salvation for all mankind. It has um, trained us to reject and renounce all ungodliness and worldly passions and desires, to live discreet, self-controlled, upright, devoted lives in this present world. God has called us to these things, and his blessing follows us. Amen? Let's stand, shall we? God has given us a great provision, his salvation, his forgiveness, his restoration, and that what he has blessed, no man can curse. (laughs) Father, we thank you that you have, you know our hearts. You know our future. And Lord, we have expectations of good, we have expectations of blessing because we have met your requirement of repentance and turning away from the sin that destroys us and putting our, placing ourselves in your hands. So, Lord, we ask your blessing upon us. We ask your blessing upon our lives and our families and God to guide us in the path of righteousness for your namesake. So we are blessed to know you as Savior, Lord, to walk with you as a friend. So, Lord, we ask you to bless us now and to restore unto us that which was taken. We ask you to give us hope in our heart. But, Lord, if there are those who have walked away from you, I pray, O God, for your spirit to touch their lives in a way that will open their hearts and minds to their destination. So, Lord, we pray for your blessing, your guidance. In the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. God bless you.